everyone, it is Stephanie Postles, the host of Up Next in Commerce. Before we get into our latest interview with another e-commerce leader, I wanted to let you know that the Up Next in Commerce podcast is now available for sponsorship for the first time ever. By partnering with us, your company will be connected to interviews with the most compelling founders, CEOs, VPs, and digital leaders in the world of commerce today. You have nothing to gain but thousands of followers and millions of impressions each and every month. Reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with our team at Up Next in Commerce. Mobile is the number one driver of traffic and orders. We've seen over the past several years, mobile really accelerate as the number one device for consumers. So as a business owner, if you're thinking about what device to prioritize, creating a great mobile experience is going to be the top of your priority list. The best way to chart a path forward is to understand the state of the industry and the possible changes that could occur in the near future. In business, that means keeping an eye on all of the trends in your industry, analyzing data collected by yourself and others, and letting the insights be your guide. One of the most popular places to find insights is through industry reports put together by large organizations that have access to billions of data points, which can be graphed out and analyzed on a deeper level. The Shopping Index is one of those reports. It is put out quarterly by Salesforce and it contains information about consumer behavior, shopping activity across numerous platforms, and a look into how different industries are performing. In one of the most recent Shopping Index reports, Salesforce collected information from more than 1 billion global shoppers in order to paint an accurate picture of what the world of e-commerce looks like. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, we break down some of the key findings in the report with the two people who helped put it together, Kayla Schwartz and Amory Avalis. Kayla is the Senior Manager of Strategy and Insights, Retail and Consumer Goods at Salesforce, and Anne-Marie is the Senior Associate of Industry Strategy and Insights at Salesforce. So what's ahead for the holiday season? How much of the consumer behavior adopted during the pandemic will stick around? And why do people stay loyal to a brand? Find out all of that on this episode. Enjoy. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce connected to marketing, sales, and service. Deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Hey listeners, it's Stephanie. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show and I would really love it. So please let me know how I'm doing and give me a rating, give me a review, let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Welcome, welcome to our very first roundtable style episode. This is Stephanie Postles, co-founder of mission.org and your host of Up Next in Commerce. Today, we are chatting with Kayla Schwartz and Anne-Marie Avales. Ladies, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm excited. This this should be interesting having a three-person call. Like I said, it's the first one. So we'll see where it goes. It'll be fun. So Kayla, can you first introduce yourself? Tell me a little bit about you and your role. I'm Kayla Schwartz. I've been with Salesforce for six years now. I am on the um, industry strategy and insights team focusing on uh, retail and consumer goods. 
And I am responsible for several initiatives throughout the year that our team puts out into market, which include our quarterly shopping index, as well as all of our holiday reporting. Um, So really utilizing real shopping data to understand the consumer and help put together some insights that can help our customers make some strategic decisions. And Anne-Marie, what about you? Tell me a little bit about your role. Yeah, happy to. So I'm also on Kayla's team, but have a slightly different focus. So I've been at Salesforce for just about a year and a half now by way of Forrester Research. So my background is definitely in research. And so I like to think of um, the shopping index as a fine wine, and I provide the cheese and the consumer perspective on what their priorities are, how their habits are changing through a lot of in-depth research work. Amazing. So that's a good place to start then. I really want to dive deep into the shopping index. So maybe, Anne-Marie, if you want to start there, telling me a little bit about how long has the shopping index been around? What is it? And how can a customer or any shop owner use the shopping index to further their um, business? Sure. For, so for this one, I think Kayla, um, since she actually created the shopping index, would be the perfect person to, to describe its origin story. Perfect. Kayla? Take it away. Thank you, Emery. <laughs> well, I can't claim the genius behind it because it was uh, actually created by someone much smarter than myself uh, several, several years ago. Um, I would say about maybe seven uh, years ago. So we've been publishing, like I said, the shopping index quarterly for the past, I want to say six or seven years. Um, so it's one of our longest running assets. I inherited it about four years ago. And um, it's, you know, it came out of a, a project or an initiative to understand the consumer. And um, at back in the day, we were uh, from the Demandware. So I worked for Demandware before it got acquired by Salesforce. And we had access to all of this uh, data from our platform. And internally, we started asking questions about how we could potentially use this data to help give insights to our customers on consumer behavior and um, the shopping index was born. So it's really become sort of the bedrock piece of content that helps us sort of start to ask questions that then lead to a lot of these other great pieces of content and research that we do. So like I said, it's our longest running asset, but um, as far as, you know, how consumer or customers are using it, it really is a, a benchmarking tool. And it's meant to be sort of like a sounding board. How, do you, how are you performing against your peers? Where is there opportunity for improvement? And using it as a way to uncover some of those questions for, for customers about their business um, and areas that they can focus on. Okay, cool. So that's a good um, point to kind of go through. What are some of the really key metrics that people find the most value in? And maybe we can talk through maybe what Q2 looked like, but what, what are some of the things that people really rely on? That's a, that's a great question. I, I think it really depends on the individual business and, and what their unique challenges are. I know that right now, everyone's experiencing some really big surges in digital activity on their websites. So the biggest question that we have right now is like, is this normal? Am I doing well compared to my competitors? Am I not doing as well? you know, bringing it back to those core metrics around traffic growth, spend growth, conversion rates. So, you know, really bringing it back to the basics almost of, of understanding and getting really a, a basic understanding of performance compared to the market. 
Yes, this this report sounds awesome. I mean, I'm looking through it right now. It looks like it's in a really cool Tableau dashboard, which is really fun and easy to digest. Um, Some of the things that I'm looking at now are when it comes to computer and mobile growth. It seems like, I mean, now it seems obvious, but a lot of people have shifted to mobile. But then maybe the cart abandonment piece has not increased as much. Maybe if you can talk a little bit about that, because I'm trying to think if I'm a shop owner and right now all my traffic has been on desktop and now it's shifting to mobile, but then I'm not able to convert the customers as well. Like, what are you seeing behind that data to maybe help with that piece? Yeah. So in an example like that, where we can break it down by device and say, hey, you know, we're seeing um, a lot of traffic coming from mobile, but it's not converting as well. Mobile traffic is up. Traffic overall is up, um, but conversion is flat or down or, or, you know, looking at your add to cart rate or your cart abandonment rate to see, you know, are consumers getting to that cart and are they finishing that checkout process? So, trying to identify those points of friction within the shopping journey using this data. And so if we see that there's a high level of cart abandonments um, or checkout abandonments, you know, that would lead me to believe that there's something about that checkout experience that isn't uh, ideal. And we see that especially on mobile, you know, the mobile shopping experience, at least the checkout experience, it's, it's come a long way in recent years, but the whole, you know, tapping in all of your little form fields on your mobile device is really cumbersome. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about ways to flatten that funnel through mobile wallets, uh, whether it's through PayPal or, or Apple Pay or Google Pay. So those are some of the ways that a shop owner would could utilize that data to see, okay, where are the points of friction within that shopping journey? Mobile is the number one driver of, of traffic and orders. And we've seen that We've seen over the past several years, mobile really accelerate as the number one device for consumers. As a business owner, if you're thinking about, you know, what device to prioritize, creating a really mobile, uh, a great mobile experience is going to be the top of your priority list. But what's interesting about 2020 is that even though we're still seeing this massive shift to mobile, which we still are, computers have actually had a resurgence. It really kind of highlights the the need to have a great experience across all of your touch points. So even if you're Mm -hmm. focusing on mobile, you know, you have to think about providing a great experience no matter where the consumer chooses to engage with you. Um, And I think that's something that is really easy to forget because sometimes you can get so hyper-focused on one particular, you know, uh, device or channel or tactic. um, And it really is about the whole, the big picture. Yep. Yeah, I completely agree. I can also see, some of these, I mean, like you said, these are things that you can benchmark your business against. And it would give me peace of mind anyways, if I could say, oh, like, what is the average? And it's nice that on your guys' report, you have it where you can select it by vertical. So I was just looking at the footwear vertical because we've had Puma and little burgundy shoes on and being able to see like, what is the, you know, average order value and the discount rate that other people are offering and the cart abandonment, like, oh, okay, maybe 80 something percent is actually has always been normal. So what can I do to get you know, to become better than that, or if I'm worse than that, like, at least I know what the average is. So it seems like it could not only give peace of mind, but then also see areas where a um, shop owner could improve, which is great. Exactly. Exactly. Remember, these are just averages. So there's people that are doing better. There's people that are doing worse. Um, So where do you stand amongst that? And then where can you make those, where are those opportunities for improvement? Yep. Tell me a little bit about the social traffic data you guys collect, because I'm looking at that now 
and it shows the social traffic share increasing by mobile. And I think I know what that means, but maybe detail that a bit so I can kind of see where that, like what the opportunity is by that share increasing. Yeah. So our social data that we collect is coming from the social referral data. So data from a social platform, whether it's Instagram or Facebook or Pinterest, um, you know, all the other, any, any channel that's directing traffic to an e-commerce website as a referral. Um, it's also mm-hmm. uh, paid and organic. So we're, okay. we're collecting that visit data and we're looking at it through the lens of, okay, is, is this social referral from a mobile device? Is it from a computer? And then we look at it overall. And then the present percentages within that uh, chart are looking at the share of traffic against all other sources of traffic. Mm-hmm. So um, if it says, you know, 10% of 10% social share for mobile devices, that means that 10% of all mobile traffic came from a social referred channel. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, we've actually heard that theme quite a bit on um, from many previous guests where they're talking about the social shopping experience and how, I mean, they're relying on influencers and how, of course, like there's a lot of platforms, Instagram, I mean, TikTok, that people are looking at right now. But that seems like if if a shop is not playing there or a brand is not there, you should probably be there because it's rising. Oh, totally. And, you know, Amory can really go into more detail on this, but we, in our snapshot series uh, research, we, we did some, some research on the, just the different types of uh, pieces of content that consumers are, are engaged with. And, and I know social was, was right up there. Amory, can you elaborate on, on what you guys found from that? Totally. Yeah. Happy to. So you're totally right. Social is, you know, the talk of the town right now. Um, Typically we see social um, referred traffic hit around nine, 10% around the holidays, which is when you see all of those peak online numbers. Uh, But now that's just the usual uh, during quarantine times when everybody's, you know, IRL lives have been pushed online. And through the snapshot research series that we did, where we um, surveyed thousands of consumers every two weeks to see how their shopping habits were changing, how their emotional states were changing over time. And we found that since the onset of the pandemic, 63% of U.S. millennials um, said they had made a purchase over social media. So it's really turning into, you know, like we like to call it the, the mall of the 21st century because social media platforms are where you can congregate with your friends, you can chat, and you can discover um, new artists and new products. So as you called out before, we're seeing um, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok all definitely cash in with awesome new features, which just continues fueling the fire. The easier it is to sign up for a product drop or learn about a new makeup line, the more consumers flock to it, and then the more innovation these these companies provide on the back end. So it really is exciting. That's great. Are there any uh, new channels that you guys saw popping up that maybe others wouldn't be aware of right now? So... One big trend that we're seeing um, explode over in Asia was shoppable videos. So during the pandemic, I love this example because it's just so, it was so wild to me. Um, rural farmers started live streaming their, um, their different produce because they no longer had access to things like farmers markets. And I believe the stat now is on Taobao, we have over 50,000 rural farmers that will sell their different uh, fruits and vegetables and produce to an online audience that will just see the video and immediately, you know, click tap and make the purchase. 
We even saw that Shanghai did their fashion week all online where you could stream models coming down the runway and immediately say, oh, I definitely want that dress or those shoes and make the purchase in real time. That's great. What what platform was that where you can actually click and make it? Because I still feel like there's a bit of friction on some of the social platforms that I use anyways, that it's like, it's not always very easy to buy. I'm even thinking about Instagram. Like I follow a bunch of influencers and they talk about the outfits, but then you have to go to a different app to maybe find it. And then it opens up again in a different browser. And it's like, oh my gosh, I don't even remember what I was looking for. (laughs) So is there a different app maybe that they're using that makes it more uh, frictionless? Totally. Yeah. So um, in China, it's all about Taobao. But in the U.S., we're starting to see um, tech companies make investments there. So Snapchat is now launching a bunch of shoppable like uh, video series where they will announce new product drops and you can buy it in app. I know Google has something in the works called ShopLoop and uh, a couple other tech companies are starting to to release um, new new programs so that, you know, in the U.S. or in Canada, we'll be able to have a more seamless experience because you're totally right. It, it feels like web page hopscotch when <laughs> you just want to yeah. learn more about one product and then you get rerouted, you know, four different times. Definitely not optimal. Yep. And, and then it's out of stock. Womp, womp. <laughs> yeah. Don't even get me started. <laughs> So with all these new tech investments that are being made and, you know, a lot of the larger players are investing in this area, is there anything that a brand can do to start preparing for this, either with their tech stack or just making sure that they're ready when, you know, Google comes out with their new technology that can maybe be implemented? Like, what should a brand be doing right now to prepare for this? Totally. So I think one, getting a sense of your audience and what they want. Um, it's, It's a very basic statement, but Maybe you don't need to be the earliest adopter on this technology if your consumers aren't streaming as much videos. But I would say the most important thing is just one, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but making sure you have a really solid set of ideas about what products you actually have, like inventory and fulfillment. If this huge journey is just going to end up in an out of stock, that's a really bad experience. So I would say that before launching into shoppable videos, make sure you have a handle on the basics. And that's something, you know, a huge issue we're seeing with fulfillment period where stores are having a hard time getting a sense of where their inventory even is. Is it locked in a warehouse? Mm -hmm. Is it in a store? Do they have it available? So I would say step one, just make sure you have a, a solid order management system, a good handle on where your inventory is and how you can access it before moving further down the road. So if your inventory is a mess right now and you're still kind of like you know, this company is like, oh man, I don't even know what to do. Like my retail still closed down. And like you mentioned, it's probably in a warehouse somewhere, but how much do I have? Like our team hasn't been able to go there in a while. How would you recommend them starting from scratch right now to start building a good inventory system where they can tap into that, know what they have and not have out of stock issues that I have actually been seeing a ton recently? You know, I think it really first starts with uh, a great order management system. And, um, you know, being able to share information across multiple systems. So thinking about data integration and um, not having any data siloed in any one system. And then, you know, implementing processes and procedures to make sure that you have the stock available in in your stores um, and that you have, the, you know, your emergency stock set up so that you're not surfacing inventory visibility on the website that isn't truly there. You know, when we think about the holiday season, 
inventory is a huge player because, or a huge um, topic of conversation because fulfillment is going to be such a challenge. Last mile delivery is going to be such a challenge. There's such a huge shift to digital. There's a huge shift in B2C parcel delivery right now. The system is overloaded. So, you know, how does a brand or retailer get packages to consumers when they, you know, don't even know if they can rely on traditional parcel delivery? So mm-hmm. thinking about moving data close or sorry, moving inventory closest to the source of demand. And that's really all about utilizing your data, understanding, you know, where that demand lies um, and getting it to getting it there in order to facilitate shipping from store uh, or fulfilling from store uh, and, the, and all of those things or utilizing some of these n- newer tactics like um, crowdsourcing, so Uber and Lyft to deliver packages. So it really comes down to having a really great system, forecasting your demand and not just forecasting your demand, but forecasting where your demand is going to be, making sure you put your inventory there and and making sure that all of your systems are able to communicate with each other so that you can have a a really well-rounded view of your customer, your organization and, and, and what steps you need. You can then use that information to understand what necessary steps you need to do to, uh, get your business to where it needs to be in terms of inventory management. Yeah, I love that. It seems like there's definitely a lot of room for companies to kind of look at their backend processes. I know we were, we had a previous guest on the show that was talking about every order that comes in, it has the rules behind the scene that say, okay, you're calling or you're, you know, buying from California. So pull from the warehouse in San Francisco. Oh, you're in Maryland, pull from the DC one. And it had all that set up in the backend, but they had just recently implemented that. And it hadn't been something they had before. I'm like, wow, that's really smart. Why doesn't every company have that? Because why would you ship something across, you know, the country if you could pull from a store or a warehouse that's right near that customer? Exactly. Exactly. So the other thing I want I was looking at right now was the average order value and I was kind of surprised to see on average that it had decreased in Q2 2020. And I guess I was a little bit surprised by that because I hear, you know, everyone's moving online and people were buying like a lot of new things that maybe they hadn't bought before, whether it's around toys and home improvement, like there's a lot of new needs that have sprung up when everyone's at home right now. Mm-hmm. So can you walk me through a bit about why the average order value went down in Q2? Yeah, you know, I think that what we saw in Q2, we saw massive growth in digital spend. So uh, 71% year over year growth in actual spend. So people were buying more or buying more online. What's interesting about AOV, it's, average order value per order. What we saw, at least in terms of consumer behavior in Q2, was sort of a shift to, yes, there was the essential purchasing, which happened in March. But in Q2, we saw a shift towards non-essential purchasing. And so mm-hmm. those like those comfort purchases, right? That was all me. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> I want new makeup. I don't know why I don't go anywhere, but I want it now. <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, I mean, I, I probably had like a package coming every day from Amazon, like, Oh, look at this cool new contraption. Let's try it out. (laughs) It's our new hits of dopamine now. Like we can't go in and see people and have fun conversations. So we just want a new package every day. Exactly. So (laughs) I think that what we, what we saw this, this decrease in average order value is really a function of people like just placing a quick hit order, you know, satisfying a psychological need to, (laughs) Have you know just seeing like your Amazon guy or your UPS UPS deliverer show up was like oh so exciting. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's my friend. How you doing? Exactly. <laughs> so I think there is a component of that. And so I think when people are ordering more frequently or average order value tends to be lower. Mm-hmm. Also, what we do know is that average order value on phones tends to be lower. And so we saw a significant increase in mobile orders. Mobile orders, like I said before, makes up the majority of orders by device uh, when we look at it compared to computers and tablets. So, you know, consumers are likely not doing a big shopping list on their phones. They're, you know, watching TV and, you know, scrolling their social feeds and buying. And, you know, so I think that was a function of of that type of behavior. And that's why AOV uh, probably dipped a little bit in Q2. Got it. But I will say that we might expect this to change too, because the reality is um, <laughs> I'm very similar to you both. We're all have a different package coming in every day, but that's incredibly expensive for retailers, right? If you think about all those shipping costs and then layer on the fact that a lot of um, logistics companies are um, revving up their prices for the holiday season. So I think increasingly we're going to see retailers um, implement more bundling or, or just higher minimums, right, to make it worth all of those shipping fees. So we're watching the numbers closely to see, you know, of course, for the holiday season next quarter and the quarter after that, how the average order value does evolve over time. Yeah, that's really interesting thinking about, I mean, a lot of people right now do want things, even if they're smaller and are starting to get used to that, you know, two-day shipping and free shipping. I mean, I know at least myself when I go somewhere and it's like pretty high order value to get free shipping. I'm like, oh, sometimes I'll just like give up and go look somewhere else. So it seems like there's an interesting balancing act between making sure that you're, you know, running a business in a profitable way and that you're figuring out how to ship things and not just shipping these little one-off things here and there, but then also not scaring away your customer to where, you know, they come there and they're like, whoa, $75 minimum before free shipping. Like, I don't know, that's too much. The other thing I wanted to, Anne-Marie, maybe you can touch on a bit more is the snapshot series you were mentioning. You talked about how you were getting a read on consumers every two weeks, but I didn't hear too many details around like what you were actually seeing now versus maybe even a couple months ago or last year. Like what are the biggest changes that you've seen among consumer buying behavior and sentiment? So a couple of things we were tracking was adoption of new shopping habits. And so it's no surprise to hear that curbside pickup or buy online pickup in store uh, rocketed up in popularity alongside contactless payments. Uh, But it was really great to see numbers to those statements. So in the initial weeks of the pandemic, we saw curbside pickup grow, I think it was close to 38%. Um, in popularity as entirely new categories of, of shoppers. I'm thinking my older parents um, were, were trying these new, you know, means of, of, of getting, you know, the essentials mm-hmm. home. Uh, but another really cool thing that we, we tracked and we saw evolve over the course of the pandemic itself too were just priorities. So one of the questions we were asking and tracking was when it comes to loyalty or how you choose which brands and retailers to purchase from, what are some of the most important factors? And early on when we were hearing a lot about um, couriers and, and unrest with certain brands and, and their shipping practices um, and health concerns, one of the top uh, priorities in, in being more loyal to a brand was how they were treating their employees. And over time, um, we saw that shift to uh, a more, 
I would call it inventory focus and also um, accessibility focus, um, meaning that the number one reason to, to shop with a certain brand at the end of the day was do they have everything I need in one place? Because those out of stock um, notifications were definitely driving everyone crazy. Mm -hmm. So when you said how they were treating employees, what do you mean by that? Because when I walk into the store, I probably wouldn't know. Or when I, you know, I'm looking at a e-commerce shop, I don't think I would really know how they're treating their employees. Like I wouldn't know the nitty gritty. So what do you think people are looking for when they're looking for that metric to stay loyal to a brand? Sure. Yeah. So for that, it was employee health and wellness. So are they um, ensuring that people are wearing masks? Are the hours reasonable? Uh, it's not something that you would necessarily um, see aside from a mask when walking into a store, but there are a ton of news reports. And of course, I won't name names here, um, but there are a lot of news reports about disgruntled employees um, having to work overtime or not having the same health benefits during the crisis and yet having extremely public facing roles. If you think about in-store associates mm -hmm. at a grocery store or a pharmacy. That was something that, that rubbed consumers the wrong way and, and did impact uh, some, some purchasing habits. But over time, really, that number one reason to be loyal to a new brand or a website was about, of course, price. But really, number one was availability and in stock. Earlier, you're mentioning these new customers that were, you know, are coming online and have been coming online the past couple months. Like, how are you guys thinking about retaining those customers? Like, are they going to be here after, you know, the pandemic is kind of over? Like, will these new shoppers still be wanting contactless delivery and, you know, being able to like pick up curbside? Like, is this going to stay? Or do you think quite a few of them are going to kind of revert back to their old habits? Yeah, I could take this one on. Uh, we know from our research and looking at our, our data that whenever we see big spikes in digital adoption, which is historically typically seen in the, the holiday shopping season, but most specific, more specifically Cyber Week. We see huge uh, rates of uh, digital adoption during those weeks. And what we know is that when consumers adopt new digital behaviors, they tend to stick around. So every holiday season, we see a huge surge in net new digital shoppers and at the end of every season, we see what we call a new digital baseline. So it's kind of like a weird set of stairs where like digital spend, digital traffic is pretty flat for most of the year. And then during cyber week, it spikes way up and then it starts to fall towards the end of the season. And then once we hit January 1st, it kind of, it spikes back down, but it never goes back down to the level that it was before cyber week. So we see, yeah, we see it's like a stepping stone or a set of stairs. Like it just kind of keeps creeping up after every cyber week. What this tells us is that consumers are adopting behavior that they might not have otherwise adopted if they had not been enticed to shop online. And they're shopping mm -hmm. online because there's a lot of great deals online. People aren't lining up for, you know outside of their local stores at 5 a.m. on Black Friday anymore. It's becoming, you know, less and less of a thing because people can shop from anywhere all throughout Cyber Week and get great deals um, from the comfort of their homes. And so, so what we know from that is that when consumers adopt new digital habits, they don't typically just go away. And people will want to go back to the store, but the conveniences of curbside, especially for buying groceries and other types of goods. 
I don't think we're going backwards. We saw buy online, pick up in store start to really take hold last year. And, and that was a non-pandemic year. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think that what's happening in 2020, none of this is going away. And it's going to continue to, it's not going to accelerate at the same pace, but we're, people are still going to retain these behaviors that they've learned. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point too when it comes to thinking about if a brand is starting to see that they're maybe having higher um, profitability when it comes to maybe mobile orders or they're just seeing higher conversions or something, maybe giving the consumer an even bigger reason to shop a certain way so that they can retain them in the long term. Because it seems like once you get them there, then you've kind of captured them on that platform. And if you have a platform that you prefer them to order on, I mean, or like a a certain uh, way to order, it seems like they might want to incentivize them to do that, even if it is having a slightly higher sale price or something to bring them there. So then they can have that customer longer term where they want them, if that makes sense. Exactly, exactly. And it's all about, you know, the entire customer journey too. It's not even just about that purchase. It's about thinking, how do you engage that consumer and provide them with great content? And that was something that we really saw come out of the pandemic. It, we, you know, through those Instagram live sessions, you know, you could like take a class at the Lululemon um, superstar, like athlete, <laughs> and, you know, do that live on your phone. I mean, how cool is that? Like we saw these really great pieces of engagement that came out of it. And then not only that, but thinking about how you service that customer after the sale and making sure that you're offering many different types of ways to resolve problems, whether it's through a self-service type of um, a knowledge base or live chat or bots to really like, you know, bots might seem impersonal, but sometimes people just want to know like, where's my order? How do I return? And if things that you can really offload easily so that you can focus on giving a really great personalized experience to some of your more challenging cases and so really thinking about, you know, retaining the customer after the sales, just per- thinking about the entire journey, recognizing that it's not linear. There's a lot of different paths and twists and turns that that shopper's taking and, and continuing to to be there for that customer and embedding yourself where they are. Yeah, love that. Anne-Marie, what were you going to happen and say? Oh, just to uh, wrap up the last statement in terms of, you know, are people going back to normal? The reality is that at least in the United States, plenty of uh, states are reopening and we're seeing in the shopping index that instead of, you know, there was this huge climb, almost like hockey stick growth in terms of digital orders, uh, but it's not going back to normal. It's not bell-shaped at all. It's exactly as Kayla described, that uh, leveling off and that, that step shape. And one question that we had asked um, earlier on in the the pandemic is, do you think you'll go back to buying in person after all of this is over? And we found that 60% of consumers said that they were likely to continue buying essential goods. So there's definitely a significant amount of stickiness there. That's great. Were there any surprises in the data or anything maybe in, I don't know if you guys ask long form Uh, questions or get answers in that format, but like anything surprising or funny or interesting that you weren't expecting? 
it's funny how none of these trends are brand new, right? Like Kayla mentioned, buy online, pick up in store has been around. So has contactless um, purchases and, and buying online. It's really just the sheer acceleration of all of these habits that was mind blowing to actually see in the numbers. So our um, data set contains the clicks and taps of over a billion shoppers. And we saw that data set increase by 40%. So we saw 40% net new online shoppers since the pandemic. And so while yes, we know that people obviously are doing more shopping online as they're quarantined, it was really wild to quantify it in that way. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, very interesting to see. So what are you, I mean, I want you guys to predict the future now. So what are you thinking Q3 results are going to look like? Well, we're, we're digging into Q3 right now as we speak. So we just ended Q3 yesterday. Um, (laughs) so I don't have any, uh, any updates to share yet, but looking at the data initially uh, a few weeks ago and, and seeing where we were we're still, we still see a massive acceleration uh, to, to digital. You know, we saw huge, huge growth in Q2. We're seeing a little bit of a leveling off in Q3. Um, I think it's a function of people just not shopping as much for back to school this year because a lot of kids are home. Um, and also waiting on a heavy promotion-filled fall and winter the growth is still very significant, much greater than we typically see in the Q3. And so while I don't have final numbers, I think uh, we're going to see a lot of the trends that we saw in Q2 continue to shift into Q3. That would be good to see. And Marie, anything to add? One trend that I'm excited to continue tracking, frankly, for, for next quarter is just this embrace of social. So not only are consumers really flocking to buy new products, signing up for product drops, but the flat platforms themselves and brands themselves are doing such cool things on um, different social media platforms. Like the other day I saw uh, Mark Jacobs was launching a new product and they had this huge Zoom party and you could walk into different Zoom rooms and one of them, you could get your portrait done over Zoom video. That's cool. Yeah. And so they had a lot of great user-generated content because people were tweeting about their portraits and Charlotte Tilbury, which is a makeup brand, um, they're doing these free 10-minute makeup tutorials that you can have either over FaceTime or they can just stream it as well to learn how to, you know, bedazzle your eyes because eye makeup is where it's at now that half of our faces are covered with masks. So, I mean, the creativity is is something that I'm just amped to see as, especially as we gear up for the holiday. Yeah. That's a really good reminder to figure out how to stand out like that, because there are a lot of creative things you can do. You just have to think differently about the platforms that you can utilize. So that's really fun thinking about the Zoom rooms. I also think it's interesting thinking about how you can maybe leverage influencers and incentivize them to kind of sell for you through these platforms. So like you're mentioning with the makeup videos, like how can you have maybe people that you can tap into to do maybe one-on-one quick tutorials with people. So they walk away with an experience that they were like, wow, I really, you know, that was memorable. And I'm going to talk about it right afterward to get that UGC content. Absolutely. Yep. Influencers are a a huge plan. We're seeing a lot of um, video views coming in from influencers more so than brands themselves. So it's definitely a powerful tool to rely on, you know, a a trusted advocate for your brand to, to draw people to your content. 
Yeah, I completely agree. Cool. I will uh, jump into the lightning round brought to you by our friends at Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask you both a question and you have a minute or less to answer, but I should probably just give you 30 seconds or less to answer since there's two of you. <laughs> Are you ready? Yes. I hope so. <laughs> All right. Kayla, I'll start with you. What one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year? Ooh, um, I'm going to say that fulfillment. Fulfillment, last mile, will have the biggest impact on e-commerce. All right. Anne-Marie? You know what? I was going to have the same answer. So <laughs> definitely fulfillment and also continually improving that checkout flow. Make it as easy as possible to get shoppers uh, from their, you know, daydream product to having it at home. Yep. Completely agree. All right. What's up next on your reading list? Anne-Marie first. Oh man, for commerce or in general? In general. Oh my goodness. Um, so there, I just started a new book called On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous by Ocean Bong, which is the story of an immigrant moving to the U.S. And, um, you know, it's kind of like a, a journey of self-discovery and it's really beautiful. So highly recommend. I like that one. That sounds good. I'll have to check it out. Kayla, how about you? <laughs> well, I have two children. So my reading list uh, these days uh, consists of children's books. And uh, yes. I feel you there. <laughs> Pete the cat is up next tonight. So <laughs> we'll have, uh, I like it. Oh yeah. We're, we're all about Pete the cat. <laughs> I'll have to check that out. We're all about Max and Ruby over here. So Ooh. I'm trying to find something new to get away from that. <laughs> Pete the cat is, uh, what? It's, it's, a good one. it's like straight out of the 1970s. They use a lot of like, mm. it's groovy. Oh my <laughs> so gosh. My four-year-olds running around and say, it's groovy. <laughs> I like that. Bring it back. Yeah. They're bringing all the trends back. That's good. What about commerce news? What kind of things do you all pay attention to to stay on top of the trends other than internal research? Definitely, there's a lot of commerce experts on Twitter. Uh, I love just kind of scrolling through Twitter and seeing what the uh, the sentiment is and, and what people are talking about. It really gets a good uh, pulse check to see you know what other industry leaders are thinking about. I, you know, I, I'm a data nerd, so I love reading through like eMarketer and Statista and seeing what the, the latest uh, latest results are. <laughs> That's great. Anne-Marie? Yeah, I would say, I mean, like Twitter is a great curated view of what's hot. I love following, you know, Michelle Grant, Jason Goldberg, Brendan Witcher. Uh, but in addition to that, um, I do stay on top of a lot of the data, but I have a definite favorite newsletter and that's Retail Brew. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> it comes out a couple times a week. It's incredibly well-written, really thought out. It's not necessarily about being the first to report on a trend, but it they go really deep. So it's, it's a really great explanation to what's going on and why. I like that. Yeah, a lot of people are ready to do news jacky type of newsletters. And I like the ones that actually go deep on a topic where I walk away and like learn something from it. Same. Absolutely. What's up next on your Netflix queue? Anne-Marie first. I would say I haven't been Netflixing <laughs> a lot. I've been trying to get away from the screens <laughs> as much as possible. That's good. That can be an answer. That's good. Kayla, what about so you? There you have it. Good question. Um, so I recently heard of this on the radio this morning, actually, after dropping my kids off at daycare, there's this true crime series i think it's called the family next door or yeah yeah i heard it was really interesting and kind of creepy and so i'm i'm i'm, I'm gonna try and convince my husband to watch that later <laughs> what is your favorite e-commerce tool that you see people using or that you've maybe tested out a bit that you think is really impactful 
Yeah, I would say um, I have a lot of fun with the the AR, like makeup try-ons. I think they've come a long way. Uh, so big fan of L'Oreal's Modi Face and also just um, Apple Pay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds one. really basic, but be able to just scan my finger and then just have everything, you know, be checked out and done with instead of filling out a hundred different fields and messing up my zip code yes. um, has made my life as a shopper much better. Hey, that frictionless experience, just like you said, super important. There you have it. You, Kayla? Yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big shopper, uh, Apple Pay lover, uh, because I do most of my shopping on my phone. So I love just being able to like double tap and be on my merry way. And I have to like go find my credit card hidden somewhere under the couches. Um, but for me, I love, um, so I am a terrible decorator and so I get all of my ideas from Instagram. And so I love being able to use the, the searchable images. So you could like search the image and they'll, they'll, they'll make recommendations. Wayfair has an app that does this. It'll like pick out recommendations from your catalog based on the image that you put into the search box. And so, um, I think that's so cool because I've been able to find a lot of things that like, I'm like, Oh, where do you source this? How do you find this? (laughs) Who carries this? Uh, so I think that's a really cool feature that I am totally loving these days. I love that. All right. And the last one, if we were to have a Kayla and Anne Marie podcast, what would you both want to talk about? What would the show be about? And who would your first guest be? And this is where you have to collaborate a bit. Oh, oh boy, Kayla. Should it be <laughs> the, <laughs> the highs and the lows of social media? Or what are you thinking? <laughs> we have a lot of conversations about this. Oh, it sounds like there's already one brewing behind the scenes then. Always up to something. I know, right? Yeah, we, we've 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 definitely had a few rounds of like w- w- the impact of social, positive and negative. And <laughs> I like that. That would be a good one. And who would your guest be for that? If we could have anybody, anyone. Ooh, man. Well, you could just go right to the top and like get Mark Zuckerberg. And <laughs> there you go. Yeah, why not? We'll mm-hmm. get him on, Mark. Let's do it. On. <laughs> Come on, the new show. <laughs> I like it. That's a good one. Okay, well, Kayla Marie, this has been a very fun roundtable. Thank you for being my first guest to try this out with me. Where can people find out more about the shopping index and your work and uh, the two of you? Yeah. Well, we are both on Twitter um, where we publish all of our content. Uh, my handle is Kayla Schwartz. I also launched an Instagram page um, where I'm publishing all of this content as well. It's called Data Candy data underscore candy. So you can follow along with me there. Um, Anne-Marie, what about you? Sure. Uh, Twitter's a great place to find me at Avi Anne-Marie. So A-V-I-A-N-N-M-A-R-I-E. And also um, check out Salesforce's blog. Kayla and I are always writing up the what it means behind all of the data on the shopping index. So you could do a quick Google search for Kayla Schwartz or Anne-Marie Avalos at Salesforce blog to see the latest in commerce trends. Love that. Thanks so much for joining. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. Hey, listeners. Thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.
Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.